Welcome to Say Hi to Your Pets, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. Um, as of this moment, I am calling this a double feature. I'm going to be talking about Maestro and The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. We'll see how it goes. Um, the reason why I'm doing two movies is because I saw them both. And I, I mean, the the thing that makes sense is like, well, you can turn that into two episodes. But my memory is so shit that if I try to spread these out for two weeks, um, I'm going to forget details. And I don't want to forget details. Um, so I, uh, I, I'm going to try to do both. Um, I don't know. Let's see. I'm, I'm Googling gaming news. I am, I'm going, this is hard to explain, but I'm sitting on the floor, my laptop in front of me. I'm going handheld right now. So I am, I am holding my, um, microphone in my hand. I usually, I usually don't do that, but that's what I'm going now. I think it's I think it's an interesting thing to do as opposed to just sitting down and talking to the mic. I guess it's not that interesting. I don't know. Dog barking. I googled gaming news and oh my gosh, like all these headlines about Oklahoma 13-year-old teenager appears to have beaten the classic video game Tetris. Um, I guess that's interesting. I don't know. Who, who cares? Um, Switch 2 could cost $400 with $70 games, analyst says. Expect Switch 2 to be iterative instead of a revolution. Let's Google iterative. Just from context clues, I'm guessing that means um, derivative. Relating to or involving iteration, especially of a mathematical or computational process. Why would you use the word iteration in a definition of iterative? Iteration, the repeti repetition of a process or utterance. Let's move on. I, I didn't... Google failed me, and it's not the first time. No one knows the, the definition of iterative. Not even God. Um, Jesus Christ. Like, why? All of the big companies have to be talking about this Tetris? Um, well, that was a waste of time. Let me look. Movie web. I don't know. Headlines. Um... Anthony Hop... Oh, these are... Oh, I'm already bored. Already bored. Let's just click off this. Alright, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. Not really, but... Um, I... <laughs> I... Just watched today... Hold on. Hold on. I'm all over the place. I'm all over the place. Um, I'm going to briefly talk about a movie called Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. I watched it because the boys over at We'll See You in Hell watched it and reviewed it for their show. So I watched it, and full disclosure, I um, was half paying attention, maybe 60-70% paying attention. Rare Exports is a, a Christmas Tale is a 2010 Finnish fantasy action horror comedy film written and directed by Jalmari Hellender about people living near Korvatunturi, Korvatunturi who discover the secret behind, behind Santa Claus. The film is based on the 2003 short film Rare Exports, Inc. Um... So br briefly, like, I thought I thought the movie from the, you know, 60-70% viewing attention span, I thought it was kind of charming. It was interesting. It felt like a 
children's movie. That being said, there were quite a, a bit of um, old man dong in it, which was interesting, uh, especially the old man dongs running towards a small child. I'm assuming the Finnish um, movie culture is more liberal than U.S. in terms of nudity and children, I guess. I don't know. But the gist of it is basically at the beginning of the movie, there is like a rich Scrooge type guy who's like, he's ex excavating the area looking for some big, you know, treasure or whatever they're looking for. And this kid finds a book. He realizes that all of the things they know about Santa Claus is fake. And the real Santa Claus is this horned beast who apparently eats naughty children. And he has to stop it from happening. So I just realized I don't think there was a single woman in this whole movie. Uh, just a, an observation. So, um, by the end of the movie, like, this, uh, the kid's dad makes a trap for a wolf. And instead of a wolf, it catches an old man, and they think the old man is, like, Santa Claus or a crazy person. And then they reveal that it's not Santa, it's Santa's helpers. It's like they're elves. And the, when the elves start to come out, it, it was kind of interesting because they didn't close up on them. And it was kind of creepy. And I thought that they were some sort of like zombie creature type things. But then they revealed that they're just old men. And by the end of the movie, they, they use the children who are in sacks like potato sacks, as bait. They hurl them onto a, a net and they're swinging them around in a helicopter, which was kind of weird. And the kid was just holding onto the rope of this net. A little weird. And they heard these elvesmen as if they were reindeer. Then they end up dis killing Santa, the evil Santa. And then all the elves are like, no longer under its spell. And then the ending, <clears throat> it was both interesting and weird because they they decide to train all of these elven old men to be Santas. And then they sell them for 85000 each Um to be Santas all across the world. It's kind of interesting, but I'm like, who, who's, who is going to buy an old man for 85,000? Like who's the buyers for this? Who, who are the clients? A. B, like, are these human or are they dancer? Are, are like, do these people have, are these old men who were kidnapped themselves? Do they have families that are looking for them? Um, do they have any choice in the matter? Do they want to be Santa? I mean, a lot of questions come up. Not a lot are answered. Although I, I thought the movie was kind of charming. Again, 60-70% attention span. But um, nothing I w would want to revisit. Or, you know, I, it wasn't great. But interesting stuff. I like the, the lore that they came up with for the movie. Jalmari Hellander also made Big Game, which I had never heard of, and Sisu, which I am interested in watching, but I have not seen. Um, okay, let's move on. Voice cracked. A little burp. Um, so today I watched... I was listening to We'll See You in Hell, and Pat was talking about um, David. Um, hold on, I'm going to get it. David Ferrier. 
who is a journalist and actor. Um, he was talking about a new mo movie called Mr. Organ. I haven't seen that, but he, Pat talks, he mentions um, his documentary Tickled. So I looked it up and I watched it on Voodoo for free. For some reason, it was working on my phone and it would not work on my TV. And then I tried to screen mirror my phone to my TV and it said, due to licensing issues, we can't do this. But it works fine on my phone. A little weird, but I watched both Tickled and the documentary short follow-up, The Tickle King, today. Tickled was very interesting. Um, well, first of all, I, I power this movie up, Tickled, and immediately I recognize David Ferrier from Dark Tourist. And I, I started watching uh, Dark Tourist, and I wasn't, I couldn't tell if it was a documentary or a mockumentary. And something turned me off from it. I was like, I think this is supposed to be mockumentary, but I don't think it's funny. So I shut it off. I didn't, I don't think I finished the first episode. And then it says he appeared in Reese Darby's mockumentary short Poppies. Maybe I'm conflating the two because um, this guy, David Ferrier, I don't know. I, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, hey, I remember him from mockumentaries. So if you Google David or if you Google Tickled, one of the... Um, questions that comes up on google is is tickled a real documentary because his style of documentary like <clears throat> when, when you watch the do documentary he makes a sign for these three guys who are going to tell him hey stop making this documentary and he makes a sign saying welcome like in all in rainbow colors because the, the company is like homophobic and that makes you that made me think like, oh, this is a mockumentary. But that was th the only moment. And the whole documentary is actually, I am 99% sure that it's a real documentary. But it does, the style just feels, because the subject matter is so absurd. And Tickled was very interesting because it starts off with saying that David Ferrier is a journalist, d directed by David Ferrier and... Um, Dylan Reeve <coughs> and so it star starts off by saying David Ferrier is a journalist who he's like a pop culture journalist who follows weird and quirky stories and then he comes on comes upon a video about competitive endurance tickling where dudes tickle each other and th that's basically it and so he started looking into it. And the more he looked into it, just the weirder it got. And there's a lot of dark detail. Well, there's a lot of details in the documentary. It's very weird. It's, um, I recommend it because a lot of documentaries these days, it's, it's very f formulaic, very gener generic, very, um, paint by numbers very checking the boxes and i i thought about that one documentary about that volcano i hated so much i hated the documentary so much it was just very dumb very boring and an in, like an interesting if if you have a good documentarian you can make anything interesting i think but when you have a good documentarian who takes a very interesting intriguing story and then makes it into a good documentary that's gold so this documentary i found very interesting um basically he, he just keeps digging deeper into this story and 
they show footage of like people being tied up, dudes, athletic, fit dudes getting tied up and being tickled. And apparently there was this guy, this older guy, mastermind, who was, it was his fetish. But I don't know, it's very weird because he wouldn't admit to anything. And in the in the follow-up too, he comes off as very strange and very homophobic and it's it's the classic case of like oh i'm i'm not gay you know gays are terrible gays are gross human beings and yet he <laughs> he's it's, he's the mastermind behind these videos of paying young fit dudes to tickle each other and, and um he's obviously obsessed with it and he has all like so much money from his parents because his father was a one of the owners of a top law firm on Wall Street and his mother had money too so he has all this money to do basically whatever he wants to do and he chose to invest in this weird, very weird uh, tickle ring or whatever you want to call it. Very interesting, very intriguing. Um, the, I was watching the first documentary and I kept looking at the time like it's getting closer and closer to the end and it doesn't look like it's going to get resolved. And at the end, there is some resolution, but not completely and spoiler alert for the documentary tickled but at the end they're like um the company is still going um he was tried and convicted for fraud or blah 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 but he is still a major senior law consultant or whatever and I don't know. It's it's just a very weird, interesting story, and I I recommend checking out the documentary again. I saw it on Vudu for free on my phone, and the short uh, documentary f- film follow up, The Tickle King. I saw I found it on YouTube. Interesting stuff. So, and I, I felt like it almost. It's a do- it's a real documentary, but it there are moments where it feels like a mockumentary, and I just want to know what I'm watching. Just if it's a mockumentary, I want to know. If it's a documentary, I want to know. But I would check out his other stuff. Um, let me look at his Wikipedia. Um, Dark Tourist, as I mentioned. Um, Short po- I I think I probably saw short poppies, which made which made me confused. Um, dark tourist and Pat said Mr. Organ was interesting, worth a watch, but um, not as good as his other stuff, I guess. But I'll I'll check it out. I don't know where to watch Mr. Organ, but. Where am I at? Nineteen minutes. Let's move. Let's let's just move on to the. I don't know if I'm going to make it into an hour. I usually do because I like talking about myself. Maestro is a 2023 American biographical romantic drama film that centers on the relationship between American composer Leonard Bernstein. I always want to say Steen, and his wife Felicia Mont. Te Alegre, directed by Bradley Cooper from a screenplay he wrote with Josh Singer, produced by Martin Scorsese, Cooper, Steven Spielberg, Christy, Makosko, Krieger, Fred Berner, and Amy Durning. Film stars Carrie Mulligan and Cooper as Bernstein, Matt Bomer, Maya Hawke, and Sarah Silverman. Um... 
Okay, so l- let me give a little background. I so like a while back, I decided um, I should start watching, or I want to start watching live pers- performances because they're wonderful, and they they're it's a wonderful experience, and you get to see live performers right in front of you, and there's no second take. The show must go on, etc. The first one my wife and I watched was uh, Into the Woods musical in Redlands, and it was it was amazing, really good, excellent singers, actors, performers, blah blah blah. And we've seen a plethora. That's right, a plethora of performances since then. And we watched West Side Story in Rialto at a small community theater, and it was amazing. And you, you go into the theater, it's a small theater, the the stage is small-ish, the seats, you know, 50, 60 seat maybe. So you're not really expecting much, like maybe that's unf- maybe that's not a good thing to say, but you're not expecting like a huge, like compared to the Pantages, you know, you know, you know what I mean? And we were kind of blown away. I was blown away. Like the performances were excellent, excellent. And I, I, I looked up Leonard Bernstein after that. I was like, this man is a genius. Um, and I realized that I had never seen West Side Story. That was my first time, any iteration. And even though I, I've seen Romeo and Juliet and I know the story, I was still surprised when people started dying in West Side Story. I was like, what the fuck? And so when I heard that there was a movie called Maestro about um, about Leonard Bernstein, directed, written, produced, starring Bradley Cooper, I got excited. I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And I will say right off the bat, I have my own personal hang-ups, but it's there, you know, it's, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. And I get, obviously I was expecting more West Side Story. (laughs) I guess I I should just look up documentary footage on West Side Story because immediately you hear there's a movie about Leonard Bernstein. You think West Side Story. And there's very little West Side Story in it. They mention it briefly in the movie when... um, they have a TV appearance and Felicia's like listing off all of his projects. And he's like, he is working on a new musical based. It's an adaptation of the Romeo and Juliet West Side Story. And I got chills. I'm like, ah! and then that was it. And then a while later, they play the prologue from West Side Story. But to me, it was very jarring because you you hear that music you expect people to be like dancing and fighting in the streets of new york i think they're in new york but it was just bradley cooper and his family getting out of a car i think and it was kind of jarring i'm like what why would he put this music in there by the way i i went to listen to the soundtrack on spotify And I was I was I was totally weirded out because you play the first track and there's the sound effect of the phone ringing and the full scene of Bradley Cooper talking on the phone and he goes, "Hello, oh that's very that's very unfortunate. I hope he's all right. Oh, you want me to conduct? No time for rehearsal. May I get three tickets?" This whole scene is on the soundtrack. And I, I'm sure Bradley Cooper had a hand in the soundtrack too. I personally didn't like that at all. When I want to listen to a soundtrack, I want to listen to the music. Um, you know, on Blink-182's album, at the beginning of the track, uh, Tom DeLong, he goes... You know, when I teach someone to masturbate, I just say, have fun with it. 
and then the music starts. That's fine. That's funny. It's flashy. It's quick. And then you're into the music. I listened to that first track and the whole scene is in there. I really did not like that. Thought it was weird. Very weird. Um, you can put a few words in maybe, but not the whole scene. I, I, I don't like that choice. I thought it was a weird choice. That being said, I thought the movie was great. I know I just aired a few grievances, but the music is really good. Bradley Cooper is, he's a craftsman. And I wanted, I wanted to talk about, um, Scorsese was planning to direct the film. He stepped down as director to work on The Irishman. Um, Spielberg was considering directing the film and approached Cooper to star, but offered the director position to Cooper after a screening of A Star is Born. Project was moved to Netflix. Um, I, I really like Bradley Cooper. I, I respect what he's doing. Um, the first time he came on my radar was Wedding Crashers, I think where he played a very convincing arsehole. Like, real convincing. He wasn't even, like, one of the main characters, but he was a convincing arsehole. And I like that he's... I like that he obviously loves the craft of, of, of acting and and filmmaking. And, you know, he's, I think he's a good looking dude, but he doesn't, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of good looking white dudes in Hollywood and some of them just rely on that. And they're like, look, I'm a good looking white dude. That's all I need. I'm going to continue to work until I can't anymore. I'm not going to try to differ my performance in any way. And Bradley Cooper's not like that. Um, you know, I like The Hangover fine. Hangover 2 fine. I actually like The Hangover 3 more than most, I think, because... Um, probably because my expectations were low. I really liked Silver Linings Playbook. Um, I actually thought that he outshined... Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, but I believe Jennifer Lawrence won the Academy Award for Best Actress, which is surprising to me because I don't think um, I don't think Bradley was a uh, Bradley. I don't think he was even nominated, but I thought he was really good because he's. There's one scene where <laughs> he reminded me of me and where he's like, he's looking for something and he can't find it. And he's like, I gotta find it. And like, my wife was like, Hey, that's you. Like sometimes you, you get so hung up on finding something like you need the world to stop and you need to find this thing before the world can continue to move. Um, I can't find whether Cooper was uh, nominated, but, um, I don't think he was, but according to, the, to this, Jennifer Lawrence won. Yeah, he had bipolar disorder. Maybe I should watch that again. I'm just, I don't want to give uh, David O. Russell any play. I heard he's a, an arsehole. American Sniper, I thought he was great. Um, even Even in Guardians, like, I, I keep thinking it's weird that in Guardians of the Galaxy they have two of the most biggest like buff stars doing voices. One is Vin Diesel and one is Bradley Cooper. In a super franchise where you want like 
good-looking, good-looking, athletic-looking men to be to play superheroes, and Bradley Cooper is playing a raccoon, and Vin Diesel is playing a tree. And um, but he's doing like a voice in Guardians of the Galaxy, and it, it's it's not recognizable. I loved him in American Sniper. Um. I just I I like what he does, and in this movie he's doing a voice, and I I think it would easy it's easy for people to 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 watch it and hear his voice and be like, so pretentious. He's doing a voice. I'm like, I am I'm thinking like, thank Christ he's doing a voice. You know what I mean? Like thank thank the Lord that. There are actors out there that are doing something, doing anything to different to differentiate themselves from the characters or the people who they are portraying on screen. And the same, perhaps more so, goes to Carrie Mulligan, who, let's look up Felicia Montialegre. Um, American actress of Costa Rican descent. Um, she was born in Costa Rica. Her mother, Costa Rican father, was a YD, according to Wikipedia. Um, so, like, Carrie Mulligan is British. I don't think I've ever heard her actual real voice. I've only seen her... Um, let me see. The first time I think I saw her was in Ewan Davis. And then... Ewan Davis. And then I saw her in Promising Young Woman. She was great. Also an American, I believe. And let me see. Just let me confirm. She is British. She is a English actress. She was born on my mother's birthday, in my birth year. Interesting. And um, she's not just doing an American accent. Like I don't. I don't know how to describe her accent in this movie other than old Hollywood so she's like oh come on now darling like we don't have to do that over there it's kind of like this this upright uptight kind of proper way of speaking I, I don't know how to explain it but it's the only way I can describe it is old Hollywood and she nails it I also thought maybe she pulled because she she's married to <laughs> Marcus Mumford of Mumford and Sons. Um, I wonder if she pulled from that experience for this role in this movie. Not not that Marcus Mumford is any sort of comparison to Leonard Bernstein, but being married to a musician, I, I guess. I don't, I don't know. But she is excellent in this movie. And these two actors really disappeared into these roles and i'm not saying you don't see that anymore you do see it sometimes but um i just, i really respected it and um admired it again i i'm hesitant to name names but there are so many actors out there actually i will i saw a stitch of stitch video of Seth Rogen for the Super Mario Brothers movie and he's like yep I play Donkey Kong and it sounds like me if you hire me it's gonna sound like me because I don't do voices <laughs> and then this guy stitched his own opinion and he's like how disrespectful this Hollywood is to voice actors which I agree with because I bet he could do I bet he could do a good Donkey Kong voice, like transform his voice. He has a unique voice. I bet he could have tried to 
change his voice. Anyway, my point is, there are so many actors out there who can't change their voice or don't or don't even try. And you're playing Donkey Kong in the Super Mario Brothers movie. You can't try to change. Anyway. And there's a lot of actors out there who don't try to change their performance in any sort of way. Their look, their body language, their, their voice. And, you know, one could say, Bradley Cooper is so pretentious, he's doing a voice. Like, thank fucking God he's doing a voice in this movie. Um, I, I don't know how Leonard Bernstein sounded in, in real life. I, I sort of saw some videos where he's conducting. But I really like the movie. And there was that moment in in the movie when he's talking to... Uh, Leonard Bernstein is talking to some guy. I don't know who the guy was, but he the guy mentions West Side Story and then Bernstein is like... He scoffs at it. He's like, for Christ's sake. And I wonder if that was meant to portray like he didn't want to be remembered solely for West Side Story. Because... I would be hard-pressed to think of any other title of a project that he worked on besides West Side Story, even after watching the movie. Apparently, um, or maybe he struggled with, like, I don't want to just conduct other people's music. I want to create music of my own as well and not just West Side Story. I, I don't know. But Leonard Bernstein was definitely one of the greats. At the beginning of the movie, they mentioned Jerome Robbins, who I think came up with the idea for West Side Story. Again, I got kind of excited. I'm like, oh, but um, Jer Jerry Robbins is barely in it. He mentions Aaron Copeland at the beginning of the movie, but he's barely in it. Uh, I know he's a very important composer as well. But the movie is very good. Um, I think it was in theaters just briefly. I don't know how these things work anymore. Like, maybe it was in the theaters a, for briefly just so it could be qualified for awards, eligible for awards. I, I don't know. But it's a very good movie, and the performances are amazing. Really great performances from Bradley Cooper and um, Carrie Mulligan. I will briefly say that there is a um, there is a section on the Wikipedia page called "Use of Prosthetic." Um, I, I'm not going to read it, but also there was some rumblings of. Casting Carrie Mulligans to play a Costa Rican person. That's stuff. Uh, it, it's stuff that I personally don't think of, and I don't think I'm wrong for that. I don't know. I don't. I watched the movie. I enjoyed the movie. I. I don't. I don't care about that stuff. I just don't. I. I was immersed in the story. I was blown away by the performances, and that's all I can say. And it reminds me of like Tetris. Um, Taron Edgerton, they were complaining, people were complaining that he's supposed to be half Indonesian. And he even says it in the movie, but he's white. I mean, I don't care. I like the movie. I like the movie Tetris. Um, but I don't care that a teenager finally beat the game in 2024. Maestro. Great movie. Check it out. Let's move on. He is listed as a post-production semicolon producer on Joker Folia Du. Uh, I'm assuming he's friends with um, Todd Phillips. I am looking forward to that movie because I love the first Joker, but... I don't I don't know about Lady Gaga. Uh, 
especially since Margot Robbie is like excellent in that role. I don't know. And Margot Robbie's going like she's kind of over the top in a good way in that role. And I feel like this is a more serious, dramatic take on the characters. What if Lady Gaga, like, she's like, I don't want to do what Margot Robbie does. So she tones it down a bunch. I I hope it's not a boring, but I haven't seen it. So let's move on to the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. We're at 40 minutes. Um, so I, I've been thinking of, of Hunger Games a lot lately. I'm sure I've mentioned it, especially working at, I work in a warehouse, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. Um, it's it's weird that a young adult series about a dystopian future can be so relatable to old people who work at, at, at jobs that suck. Um. I watched the first Hunger Games with my wife long ago. We liked it a lot. She loved it so much that immediate, immediately after it ended, she was like, well, where's the next one? Put on the next one. And I'm not even sure they had announced the next one, or maybe they were making it. Um, I love the second movie. second movie is the best, probably. It felt like dark and action-packed and um, liked it a lot. I don't really remember the third or fourth movie all that well. Um, I don't know. I should rewatch, but it's kind of a blur. And I didn't have that much interest in this new one. I didn't even know. I didn't even know it came out. Um, I knew the new book was coming out, and my nephew, who's big on the Hunger Games, he read it, was enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, he, when he was in town, he's like, oh, I'm going to go watch the new Hunger Games with my friends. I'm like, I didn't even know that was out. Um, and I wasn't all that interested in it because they don't have any of the same characters other than Snow. And, you know, I, I don't watch the Hunger Games for snow. You know what I mean? And so my nephew watched it. He said he liked it a lot. He told me about the movie, but luckily my memory is so shit that by the time my wife and I watched the new movie, I don't re I didn't remember any of what he told me. And I like this movie. Um it kept me interested throughout which is more than most movies you know what i mean and let me say up top that rachel zegler won me over in a big way from this movie um where what am i doing for the film I had never seen her in anything. I didn't realize she was so new. Um, where is she? Um, she is the obviously the highlight of the film. And if you look on her Wikipedia, it's it's crazy, like how someone can shoot up to stardom that quickly. Um, she her first movie was West Side Story. And I was reading briefly reading about her story, um her West Side Story. <laughs> uh, um Should I delete that? That was embarrassing. Um I don't think I will. But apparently she was like she started a YouTube channel, she she was in a bunch of musicals in in like high school. And Steven Spielberg posted an open casting call for West Side Story. I don't know the exact details, but she posted videos of her performing songs from West Side Story. And she won out over 30,000 applicants for the role of Maria. 
And now I'm excited to watch. I wasn't excited to watch that before because I wanted to show my wife the original first. And I, I'm not too big a fan of Ansel Elgort. But now I want to show my wife the remake of West Side Story so she we can see Lucy Gray in this starring role. She was also in Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which I... St- <laughs> Even knowing Lucy Gray is in it, I have no interest in that movie. Um, she's in something called S- Spellbound, Snow White, and Y2K. But she was excellent in this movie. She really brings a lot of, like personality and soul and sass to this character um she was great and she's a great singer and actress the movie the movie is interesting because if you on paper it doesn't feel it doesn't seem that that it would be that interesting because this is like let me see, let me see the it takes place like during the 10th Hunger Games and it focuses on snow and snow is in like i don't know like high school age let's say maybe 17 18 something like that and it focuses on snow who's going to become a mentor for Lucy Gray and Lucy Gray is in going to be in the games. So right off the bat you are focusing on someone who is not participating in the games. So it's an interesting angle. A little weird. Um and Snow I I kind of missed it in the beginning but his father was apparently powerful in the government but he was killed by a rebel. And his family is in the capital, but they are losing power because, well, I guess the father is dead. His parents are dead. So that leaves him, his cousin, Tigress Snow, and his grandma, and they don't have any money. And they're living in a, you know, apartment house, whatever, but they, they're going to get evicted because they don't have money. And, you know, the movie had a lot of flaws. Um, First of all, I think the movie should have been two movies. Now that, you know, I was reading something about Francis Lawrence, the director. He said he considered splitting this book into two movies because it's big, apparently. But he decided against it because he regretted it for book three which he split into part one and part two. Which, that was probably a a bad decision, I guess, because I can't even remember either of them. But this one, I think they should have... You know, if if you've seen the movie, at the end of... or in the middle of the movie, I guess, right, or... I think he should have walked into that bar seen Lucy Gray come out on stage with her guitar. They they look at each other. They see each other. They're surprised. Maybe a slight smile. Maybe a vague frown. I don't know. And then credits. They should have cut it off there. And then... And then make a part two and really take their time to show snow's descent into evil and madness and because as it stands the the games in this movie was you know as what you'd expect they're tense they're um you know there's action and you're it's like stressful and when that ends spoiler alert and then lucy gray wins it feels like the movie is going to end. It feels like that was that was the climax and it, it's a good ending to that movie. But no, there's a part three and there's another, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes after that part. And 
I don't think the movie did a good job showing his, his descent. It feels really rushed. Because throughout the beginning and middle of this movie, you are focusing on Snow, and he is the hero or anti-hero, and you're showing that he he cares about Lucy Gray. And then you start to... I guess the whole point of the games is like, is he trying to help her to because he cares about her or because he's just doing what he needs to to save his family you know and but but at the same time you, you feel his his he performs heroic acts you show they show the good side of him and then like with five maybe ten minutes to go he turns evil and I don't think they did a good job of that. It was too quick. You know, he says... You know, the, the actor was fine, but it, it was a little stiff. And you can't help but feel... You, you can't help but pale in comparison to Lucy Gray. And admittedly, Lucy Gray is a much juicier character. And Snow's just kind of... He's a serious, kind of stiff dude. Um, and then like at the end towards the end he says one line like to his friend Sejanus um, why are you helping them they rebelled against the capital they deserve to be punished like there's one line that shows like oh this guy really sides with the capital and then he turns against his best friend he's like you're gonna, and then again, you're thinking, is he doing this because he's loyal to the capital, or is he doing it to save his own ass? Again, the games are always in play, even though they're not in the games, which is kind of the whole kind of the whole point of the movie, which they do kind of say at the end. Um. So, I mean, I'm sure it's kind of that you're you're damned if you do damned if you don't i'm sure if they did split this book into two parts it people would complain like oh this this last movie didn't have enough action in it because they would there would be no games in that part three i don't think i would have cared if they just focused on showing his descent but um but who will never know um because at the end of this movie, he is back at the Capitol and talking to Viola Davis, and that's it. I also think, like, A, they, there was a part in the books where um, Katniss was watching a video of Haymitch in his experience in the games. And I when I heard that they were making a prequel book to The Hunger Games, I thought they were going to focus on Hamish and his struggle in the games. Because I think that would have been cool because we know Hamish in quote-unquote present times or whatever. It would have been cool to see a young Hamish participate in the games. They didn't go that route, Suzanne Collins. Um, but there's an idea for you. And then B... They should show the actual war that made them decide to do the first games. And I have a feeling that's the direction she's going to go next. Because that would be cool. Like, they show briefly at the beginning of this movie. Um, I, f I forget what the title card was. It was like three years before the first Hunger Games or something. And he's running around... I'm assuming with Tigris and this guy's like gonna they see this guy who's gonna like saw this guy this dead guy's leg off and he's like why is he doing that and she's like he's starving why don't they make a movie about the war that made them decide to start the first games I'm assuming that's what she's gonna do next um also I want to briefly mention that I've never liked Jason Schwartzman. I think an acquaintance of mine in college mentioned that he was a a Coppola. 
and she, she might have said something like, oh, I don't like him because he's a Coppola, he's, you know, Nepo baby, whatever. And ever since then, I've just never liked him. You know, I've even like, I almost said rush hour. Um, what is that movie called? Rush Limbaugh? Rushmore. I didn't really like him in that. He he's he always plays smug characters that you know that's his vibe. And um this is the first movie where I really liked him. Other than Lucy Gray, he really st- steals the show. He does this stupid magic trick where he flips a coin in the air and then talks for 5 minutes. And then at the end he he gets the coin again and that made me laugh and then after that he he kept making me laugh. Um I liked him a lot in this. Viola Davis going over the top, but I liked her performance. Josh Andres Rivera, who's kind of like a thick, buff-looking Emil Hirsch. I'm not familiar with him. Um, he was in a movie called Cat Person. Um, I don't know what that's about. I li- I liked his performance. My wife was a little not too impressed with him. Peter Dinklage, always reliable. Hunter Schaefer, I thought was um, Wednesday's friend from Wednesday, and I was uh, disappointed that it wasn't her. It was the girl from Euphoria, uh, the character from Euphoria. Again, the euphoria, that scene with that character where she goes, um, I'm Jules, by the way. That whole sequence was turned me off from the show, despite the promise of nudity. Um, I don't know. L- let, me sh- let me shout out Wednesday... Um, when Ricky, nope, Jamie, nope, Hunter, nope, Xavier, Enid, Emma, Myers, a child actress. Anyway, I, but despite all its flaws, I did enjoy the movie a lot. Um, you know, to to watch a whatever. It, how long is this movie? Two. Two hour twenty three hour movie, um, hundred fifty seven minute movie, and not be bored throughout. I I have to give credit to that, and it was entertaining. Um, it was int- you know it was interesting like to show the tenth Hunger Games as opposed to the whatever seventy fourth seventy fifth, and it was just in this small arena compared to the games in the 74th hunger games or it's this huge area it was interesting and again to focus on snow like there's that one turn where he he has to go into the games and it's exciting and you're like oh shit he has to go into the game but he's he goes in it for like 20 seconds and then he's out again um and also, there was a moment where uh, Lucy Gray mentions Katniss. I was like, that's only in there as a nod to the audience. It's confusing. Because as soon as she said it, I'm like, oh my gosh, are they related? And I read that Francis Lawrence, the director, confirmed that they are not related. But A, why is the director confirming I bet Susan Suzanne Collins was like shit. Why did why did he say that? Now I can't tie them together. Um, also, at the end of the movie, again, it felt too rushed. Like all of a sudden, she's she decides I can't trust him. I need to run away, and make a snake trap for him, and, and make all the birds sing a song at him. It just felt tacked on and a little rushed and 
you know what they should have done? They should have called this movie The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds. And then the next movie, part two, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Snakes. And that's how I'll end this episode of Say Hi to Your Pets. I forgot the name of this show. Um, thank you for listening. I hope you are well. Happy New Year. And take care of yourselves. I was scheduled for two shifts at work today, and I didn't show up to either of them. Um, I'm a little nervous that uh, my depression's coming back to bite me in the ass and not let go. I hope I'm okay, but I, I don't know. There's no way of telling, and there's also no cure. So there you have it. Thank you for listening, and say hi to your pets for me.